Welcome back to a Geeksplain series that we, or Geeksplain Extra series, actually, called Watching the Watchmen, where every week we review the newest episode of HBO's Watchmen show. Uh, forgive me on that intro, I've had a couple glasses of wine. Um, and this week we are reviewing episode number six, entitled The Extraordinary Being. So I am your Co- I am your first co-host, Eric Azana. I am your second co-host, Chris Carter. And uh, first off, just overall feelings. What did you What did you think about this episode? You know, I have a bunch of thoughts on it, um, ranging from social commentary to the technical aspect. I mean, I thought some Love of the it. shots um, we talked super about super good. You were talking about it throughout the episode. Yeah, I mean, I think I don't think they cut before the first ten minutes. I think, yeah, and uh, I thought that was great, and the, the way they used. The reflection, which we'll talk about later, Loved because of the nostalgia. It. So that good. was that was clever. That was so good, and um, I thought it was interesting in a whole bunch of different fronts. What did you think of it? I thought it was really good. I think um, this episode might be the most Watchmen esque mm. episode that we've gotten so far, because what uh, what the show has done really well, I think, is kind of set itself apart from the original source material. Not in that it's, you know, trying to get away like in like the early 2000s superhero movies where it's like, oh man, everything's got to be black leather. Yeah. And we can't, you know, <laughs> nothing can be like superheroes. But or in cloth, a way that, right? God forbid right, we use cloth God forbid we have cloth costumes. <laughs> um, but it set itself apart from the comic from the original source material by really setting up its own world building its world up um getting its own characters that you care about setting it you know decades in the future Mm -hmm. of the original comic now this one features heavily a lot of the characters and concepts that we saw in the original Watchmen series these were characters that if you were a fan of the book if you had read the original book like you have at least a cursory knowledge of and that's why I think in this episode, this episode might be the closest to a full-on tie-in with the original story, mm-hmm. whereas the rest of the episodes, the other five episodes up to this point, have really focused on building its own world and its own story. Within the series, right? Correct. Okay. Yeah. So, and I don't think either of those are bad approaches, and I think that when you get to a certain point in the adaptation or the sequel area you have to have an episode that really calls back heavily to the concepts and the characters that you kind of associate with that source material yeah yeah it's good to keep people in especially if you're watching it um our roommate your friend dustin reefer shout out dustin shout out to dustin um he actually started watching it, and he was disappointed in the series that it wasn't more watchmen-y right so And, and i've heard that complaint from a couple people yeah and, and I, th- I think this episode, to your point, though, would be kind of one that maybe kind of brings people back a little bit, especially if they're fans of, the, the again, the original source material, right. that what you're saying. So I think, uh, yeah, I think this would be the episode for that, although but, it is episode six. Yeah, I was so going to say, I wouldn't, I, this is not the episode I would start people with. No, I didn't mean either. Because there are a lot of concepts and a lot of continuity stuff and a lot of, I guess, reveals yeah. that are pretty, I think... Um, they sh- they shake up the 
overall um what's the word i'm looking for well, the overall status quo it's very advanced of these characters yes like the idea the of storytelling stuff, yeah, yeah it's like it's funny the the juxtaposition between the black and white and the period piece Love but it, it tackles thing it is it is it is great right but it tackles these these uh, ideas in that are are relevant. And I don't want to ruin that. We'll get to that later. Oh, no, sure. we will for sure. But um, I loved how they did that. And it's mm. it's very it's funny. It's very low tech in the sense that the timing, the period. But it's it's very um, complicated, very Absolutely. diverse, very high concept stuff. And I think yes. that's great. It's it it makes the audience. It treats the audience with the respect. Like hey. You're smart. We're going to keep this mm-hmm. an intelligent conversation. We're not going to dumb it down for you. Absolutely. And and I think there there is a lot to be said about most of the episode being kind of mon- monochromatic in that black and white filter, sure. showing how heavily um, most of the history, whether it's we're talking about a real world history or the alternate history of the show, has been settling in this moral gray area. Yeah, and I think that really kind of casts a shadow over the events, and I think that's why the black and white works even better. Because yeah. in a world of differing shades of gray, looking at through this lens of nostalgia and right. black and white is kind of giving a new twist on those terms and those themes. Yeah, yeah, I thought that too, and, and you know that, that's that's a great point. And you know, it's funny for black and white. It's of course either it's right or wrong, black and white, right. and. I think that some of the things in this particular episode, um, obviously there's a, there's a heavy hand in the in the racism part mm-hmm. of it, and, and you look back at history, and now of course, right, we're now in 2019, and I don't know how many years or decades past the episode that we're watching, there right. was a clear right and wrong, Absolutely. and I think that that was a device they they chose on purpose. Of course, there's a stylistic. Uh, part of it too, of which course. is beautiful, especially right. when Angela's kind of so coming out of it. Good. But her memories are starting to come mm-hmm. in color and fading I, out. I, I loved the uh, when there were little moments where uh, Agent Blake and Cal were trying to talk to her, yeah. and you could see little pigments of yes. color with them, yeah. like real, like it just like really, really come out of it, right? Like yeah. it's, it's like she's starting to kind of coming out of it, mm-hmm. but then she comes right back to the comes gray. right back to the monochromatic, yeah. and I I think this I'll just put this out here since this isn't like story specific on my notes at least mm-hmm. um i think two big winners in this episode were the visual effects and the soundtrack oh i the knew soundtrack the soundtrack has I knew been it. so good every single <laughs> episode but and you're I right am, you're right i am an absolute sucker for 40s and 50s music yeah. i just i go nuts for it yeah and the tracks that they used here even just some of the intr- instrumental score mm-hmm. uh has been so good and in this episode it really shined because for a lot of people myself included the ability to transport an audience from where we're sitting in 2019 to a bygone time has yeah. a lot to do with visual effects mm-hmm. and it has a lot to do with your sounds, your sights, your sounds. Right. Um, and the music is so, I think, intrinsically attached to that time. Yeah. That like when you start to hear this music, you're all of a sudden like, okay, now it's the night, the late 1930s. Now it's the 40s. Right. Now we're heading into the 50s. And you know, it's funny you say that because really, uh, in filmmaking, it's a tool that it's kind of overlooked. I mean, sure, mm-hmm. we'll have uh, big deals, the cars, the industrialization at the period at that point, but right. the music, as in the songs, are really overlooked. Um, I know 
uh, The Great Gatsby had kind of which I really enjoyed. Uh, Love that movie. Right. Uh, they had a stylistic approach to that, but they didn't actually kind of land. I thought the music part of it, where they could have chosen to use that type of music from that era to really kind of bring it in. Um, right. I thought that. Um, uh, uh, the Curious Case of Benjamin Button did a really good job about that yes, as it kind of went through the I areas. Agree. So, but to your point, like, I love how, and it's funny, there are, there are even lines in these songs that mimic what's going on yes. in the story. And that is the mark of good soundtrack <laughs> picking. <laughs> That's right. So I want to talk to you because you, you brought up an interesting point when it comes to um, choosing music or any kind of score when it comes to film. Mm -hmm. For those of you in our audience who aren't aware, Chris is a filmmaker, a very successful filmmaker oh, in his in his own right. Um, go pick up One Night in October on Amazon and anywhere else you can find it. You can see both. Um, well, I see Eric's beautiful no. face. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a mask on Charles, um, but he does take it off. <laughs> I do, I do, once or twice. Um, but as a filmmaker, how important do you think music is when it comes to setting the tone for the piece that you're creating and yeah. what is your process for choosing music to fit a certain scene or a certain character, a certain narrative? It's great. Um, that's a great question. Um, it's, it's interesting because if you know a song really well um, and a line in that song will resonate with you in a specific uh when you're writing or when you're shooting, it's like, man, I really think that this would be great. And and there's a, when I was doing a film that actually Eric was in years ago when we were living in Tucson, throwback, um, uh, Kai Theory did a uh, cover of Stand By Me. And it was oh, dark. that song. Do you know what song I'm talking about? Uh, I, I, I don't know if I've heard that specific cover, but Stand By, Be Stand By Me is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. So Benny, I think Benny King, if I, if I recall. Yes. Think, okay. So it's, it's, it's I, I love the original but this is a more haunting version of it where it's like it's like loss and um and and even though you know these people and again this is what i'm getting from the song it just it feels like these two people are going to like film it and louise it like this is yeah. going to be the end of it and that's kind of what i saw for my film so when you have a specific song or it hits a note and you're like man i love it and that just really kind of changes the dynamic of of what you're putting on screen and the technical part of it is that if you can give your audience that extra layer of being in the moment, what these characters are feeling, and sometimes it's not even the characters, sometimes it's the overarching feel of what you want them to be feeling in the story, in that moment. Right. And because you said it, if you can make someone feel something through music, it's almost like they'll always remember that. It's like a smell. Right, I'm sure yeah. there's a specific smell that when you smell it, some people it's bad alcohol, some people it's Goldschlager. For me, it's Jägermeister. But when you, when you <laughs> smell it, it's like this is this evokes a feeling. Bad tequila. But, but more than <laughs> God, I can only imagine that. that. But for music, it's funny that it's just a note. Yeah. Like the sound is is it's it's such a powerful tool. And it just resonates with so many people mm -hmm. and it just takes a note. And I think that that's a big part of it. Yeah, I agree. I think a perfect example, I think, is I don't know if you are, but I'm a huge My Chemical Romance fan. Of course. Huge fan. You can. Did you get tickets? I, I haven't been able to. They are, yet, ex no. they are, they are expensive. super expensive. Yeah. Um, My Chemical Romance back in concert. And of course, everyone is trying to get there. So <laughs> yeah. if you have gotten a ticket for that, 
um, I don't know you, but I hate you. Um, <laughs> no, but like when it comes to uh, My Chemical Romance, I don't know why I got sidetracked like that, but um, you can immediately get a feeling when you hear that first piano note of Welcome to the Black Parade. Mm-hmm. Every time. There's a meme about it or something like that where it's like the second I hear that uh, first note on Black Parade, and it's just a picture of Gerard Way just at attention in his, uh, yeah. you know, cut blonde hair and his like black marching band uniform which gave me a huge throwback because for those of you who don't know i was in marching band in high school and our colors were silver and black ah shout out to mountain view high school um (laughs) but yeah it's like the second you hear like you said it can be even a simple note just like can transport you can immediately get you in like okay now i'm in this mood now Mm -hmm. i'm in this feeling yeah, like so, Green Day's Time of Your Life, right? Everybody right. knows that one. I, I dun, think dun, about dun. Yeah, exactly. I'm yeah. dating myself, but I remember seeing the Seinfeld finale years yeah. ago when they used that as kind oh of like... Oh my God, I forgot that. Penny Ultimate, like, hey, this is kind of, we're wrapping it up. And and uh, yeah, it's just... But but anyway, I, I absolutely agree with what you're saying about the music choices in, especially this, it really kind of builds a scene and it really augments what they're putting on yeah. screen. And it really takes you into that into that era and it's so important in period pieces right. you know so and then how, as a filmmaker do you think that they've done really well with their soundtrack choices do you think there are certain things that i mean there's always room for improvement sure. but like are there certain things that have stuck out to you in the last few episodes you know the scoring is a little uh, it's a little uh it's funny jessica morgan uh she really enjoys uh uh, huge Nine Inch Nails fan, huge Trent Reznor fan, um, and so they're scoring him and Attica Rod. Yeah, is scoring. So for me, it's very um, you can pick up on it right away because they yeah. also did uh, the Social Network. Yes, and it's funny because that I has think, a very distinct soundtrack. Exactly. So like, and for me, it's not what I have pictured, or not more what I have pictured for the Social Network's kind of score. But for this, it makes sense. It's sci-fi. It's action. It's action-paced. When she goes into the um, uh, the Nixon camp, the trailer yes. camp, and it kicks in. It's like that's oh, perfect. Yeah. That's 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 absolutely perfect. And I think they've done such a masterful job on, on this. And it goes back to Lindelof's uh, ability to. I mean, can you imagine him coming into you as an artist, saying, "Hey, you know what? We'd love to use your piece in our Watchmen series on HBO." I mean, oh, and also, can you score the entire show as yeah. well? <laughs> it's like, where do I sign? You know what yeah. I mean? So. So I think it's been fantastic. I know you have very your musical tastes are very kind of broad. I think. And how do you feel about what they've done so far musically on the show? Well, I that's true. I I like to think that I have a a pretty wide variety. It of is eclectic. Musical, Absolutely. it really is a musical taste that I like, and I like things you know, ranging from a Nine Inch Nails to like. Um, I'm gonna, well, you just said my, my chemical romance. Yeah, my see, chemical so. romance, but I'm also gonna date myself. I'm a huge, and I'm gonna. I'm if anyone ever asks me this in person, I'll deny it. You're hearing <laughs> this once, or however many times you decide to listen to this. I have a huge soft spot for Carly Rae Jepsen. Oh God, Carly Call Rae Jepsen. Oh yeah, yeah. I had a huge <laughs> crush on her. Uh, I think most of us first, did, right? And I think anytime like some of her music, even some of her recent stuff, like yeah, that'll come on, I'll just stuff? be like, what? Shoot. Oh my god, <laughs> Eric! We're, I'm going to show you the entire <laughs> her discography. I'm, I'm going to show you the entire long. discography. Um, we're we're going to talk about all this stuff oh, off air, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, 
or that that'll be a different geek explained series yeah. the discography yeah. of carly rejected right the mad but, card edition yes yeah <laughs> so that, that'll be behind a patreon wall if i ever get a patreon set up um but yeah no i think that the musical choices have really showed a range we've seen like really quiet um quiet pieces mm-hmm. in the very first episode um after the uh tulsa riots they play a very like current rap song Mm -hmm. and while it kind of took me out of the moment for a second when you kind of let it set in and you listen to the actual lyrics of the song it makes sense yeah so i think they've done a really great job at picking and choosing their spots when it comes to okay we're gonna put score here okay we're gonna put an actual song here and i think the use of the old time 40s and 50s uh, music here was really well placed, especially yeah. like you were saying with certain scenes where the lyrics were directly talking about the stuff that was happening in the I scene. I love that. That's so smart. And I that's, love that. again, that's the mark of a really good storyteller and someone who really knows what they're doing. Yeah. So jumping across from soundtrack to visual effects, we talked a little bit about it. The tracking shots. Yes. You mentioned a couple times a couple throughout times. this episode. They were fantastic. They were um, did you notice the fight one? Yes, I loved yeah. that. I loved the fight <laughs> one. The ones that stick out in my mind um, were both of the fights, both the fight in the alleyway mm-hmm. and then the warehouse scene, which we are going to talk about. Yeah. And then the one that sticks out to me the most was the um, passage of time mm-hmm. with Will, June, and their son. Yeah, I thought it was so well done. Yeah, very, very smooth. Showing like the birth showing june like with child she comes around the corner there's suddenly a baby she puts it in the crib and she walks away suddenly her and you know a toddler like running down the yeah down the hallway i thought it yeah. was so well done yeah yeah and it was a it's a great device um to show the passing of time obviously but it was very stylistically used where it's also impressive it's like oh wow this is fantastic how they're doing this uh, the fights were the fights take me back and, I, and I, we've seen a, the daredevil series on yes. netflix r.i.p um, oh my god the first uh season they had that uh fight scene in the hallway and the greatest I, hallway fight yes scene of all time. that was so cool i remember thinking that every time i see a fight scene i, I always try to count as a director you're trying to find cutty points yeah i'm yeah. trying to see okay how long are they gonna let go for at what point because you know as an actor you have to choreograph that and then time go it all the way through movies. if they want to yeah. do that tracking shot. which is yeah. crazy right so i'm always looking for that and to see how the longer it gets before they cut the harder it takes you know longer right. it takes that the harder and i was shocked i mean there were a couple there was one white but they did such an um yeah, that was those tracking shots were really really cool indiewire um did a review on this uh before we started our podcast and uh, i think indiewire is a mark for hbo but i love the reviews and i love what they're saying so i tend to agree with them they said this was <laughs> the best visual effects uh episode of the series i gotta think this one I, specifically yeah Interesting. i gotta think it's up there don't you i mean i think it's definitely up there it's it, it would be top two at least right because i i still gotta look at like just and i know that you know the i guess the hype around it has kind of died down after as we've gone on through the episodes and the weeks but i still like everything that they did in the um in the Tulsa riot scene, yeah, I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, and in that first episode as well, when they have you know the the police uh, owl ship going after you know the biplane, like that's true. Those were really good stuff. But this feels like they took 
everything that they could with their budget and they're like <laughs> we're gonna tell a story and we're just gonna figure out where the money comes from yeah well they may have shot this last i mean we don't that's, know that. that's like, true hey, we that's have a true. surplus of 10 million dollars where can oh we oh my god let's make this really cool episode that looks kind of like a tracking shot all the way through or for the most part of it um but i love tracking shots i mean i think that you know now in this day and age the that type of tracking shot and that oneer as they call it um, it's become so popular. Um, yeah, I, I think Daredevil really changed the game when it came to they that. They did. Did you hear that they got snubbed at the Emmys? No. So for uh, for their final season, for season three, yeah. um, you watched it, right? I did. They had that amazing, it was like 15 minutes, or maybe it was like 12, something yeah. like that. The tracking shot, spoilers for season three of Daredevil, which you should have already watched. Yeah. Um, in the prison. Okay. That 12-minute sequence yeah. of just tracking him like all the way through this prison coming out to the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, they submitted it for their consideration for an Emmy for, I think, um, either some kind of action sequence or like stunts or something. Yeah. But the Emmys said no because it was too long. Oh, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So I just... They just... Did such- they did such a good job with that. I know that oh you, God, you yeah. followed the Daredevil series closely, and I really enjoyed the second season. One of my favorite. I love the Punisher the arc. The second I season loved... was your favorite. Yes, it wasn't yours. That's a... no. What the Punisher arc and the Electra, the, the the chemistry between Electra and Daredevil was fantastic. really really good. But I, th- the one big complaint I have for um, just Marvel Netflix in general is I think the Hand is a really weak villain. Um, it, I, you just... would know more than I would know about that. So, well, okay. well, just. Not even in, like, comics lore or anything. Just the way that they use them. Uh-huh. It's just like, oh, it's this army of nameless, faceless ninjas that you uh, just kind of throw as cannon fodder. Fair. I was much more intrigued by the first four episodes of season two, where it was Daredevil versus Punisher. Yeah, that where was Where you have a face awesome. to the conflict. I love Because that. the entire back half, even though the Daredevil Electra stuff is wonderful and the chemistry that they have is superb most of the fight scenes are daredevil electra or the combination of them against just this horde of nameless faceless ninjas cannon fodder almost right yeah so that wasn't my i do agree with you uh i loved uh john bernthal as the punisher i loved their dynamic because it's like left half and right half of your brain right the the moment in the episode where he says you're one bad day My away God. from being me. Yes. Like, yes. That, oh. that, when I, he I love hit that. him with that line in the trailer, I was yeah. like, this is going to be good. Yeah. So um, we have gone, let's see here. I'm checking right now. We have gone almost 23 minutes. So we should probably start talking about the episode. <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> so um, right away, this you know that this episode is going to be set apart from the other episodes because you get the opening Watchmen title card. And then it kind of, in a very Avengers way, dusts itself away mm-hmm. and shows the Minutemen logo, yeah. which I love. I didn't get that. I, I was going to ask you about that. So what is that about? So in the, in the Watchmen series, in the Watchmen comic, in the Watchmen universe... No one, no team is ever called the Watchmen. They're never called the Watchmen. Um, Why is the comic called Watchmen? Because it comes from that phrase, who watches the Watchmen. Ah, okay, okay. So, and that, and there's shots of it in the film as well as in the comic during the, uh, during the riots where uh, someone like spray paints that on the shop window, mm-hmm. who watches the Watchmen. I see. But the team that was in 
the Watchmen series was called the Minutemen. Oh. Even the uh, I think it was the eighties version, which had like the had Rorschach, comedian, Doctor Manhattan. They were also called the Minutemen. Did you see that? It was basically a revival. Did you see- loved it? Yeah, okay, loved cool. it. It was <laughs> it was. Um, but it was the classic Minutemen, and, and I am such a mark for that shit. Yeah. Like any anything that's like again, easy mark for like forties and fifties nostalgia. But like seeing like Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis and Dollar Bill and Mothman and yeah. Night Owl, the original Night Owl. Like <laughs> I got so hyped, and I knew it. I knew the second that he started walking into that scene that they were going to be blurred out, and we weren't going to see them except for Captain <laughs> Metropolis. And I was so mad, but I was just glad that they were there. Yeah. But um, speaking of which, this episode really focuses on Hooded Justice. Yeah. And we've been seeing throughout the season so far that. Uh, in universe, they've been working on this uh, American hero story. Like uh, we've we've seen this with um, like American Crime Story in the real world. That's what it feels like, um, right? Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it it's basically like it's... or like um, what was that? The it was um, it was Trial of O.J. Simpson. It yeah, had, uh, uh, American Crime Story. Or yes, I think it's American Crime Story, and they did one yeah. for. <laughs> Uh, Versace. Versace, yes, yes, yes. So it's basically just like dramatized versions of uh, past events. Yeah. But, and I loved this, uh, It's it opens up with a scene in an interrogation room where we see Hooded Justice being interrogated by these two cops, and they want him to take his mask off because they um, have blackmail on him about basically him sleeping with Captain Metropolis. Right. And back then, in the 40s and 50s, being gay was not okay and we've come a long way folks i didn't mean that to rhyme but um (laughs) but yeah so they're threatening to quote-unquote expose him and so they're like as long as you help us out and give us a picture of your face we will some such or other so he takes his mask off and immediately seeing a white man sitting there with the noose around his neck, it doesn't quite feel right. Right. And that actor, if it's the actor I'm thinking of, big fan of that actor. He's been in uh, several seasons of um, American Horror Story. Oh. Really, really good. I really enjoy him. Um, and I thought he did fine, like, in the little bit that they got sure, for him. yeah. But then it kind of cuts because we have to jump right into uh, what, what I'm going to call Angela's Bad Trip. That so, sounds about accurate. Yeah. A- Angela's 60-minute bad trip yeah. where she basically goes through all of her grandfather William's memories. And so we see uh, kind of the aftermath of him surviving the Tulsa massacre, what his life became of after that, because we have a beginning point and we have an end point with old man William uh, sitting with uh, Madame True handing off the pills, like all that stuff. We just need to know how he got there, yeah. and this episode really dives into that. So, um, we pick up in 1938 when he's graduating the police academy, and if you know anything about 1938, <laughs> wasn't a good time to be a black person. No, but it was a great time to be a comic fan because 1938 was the year that Action Comics number one debuted on newsstands around the world. Just in America, but around the world. <laughs> um, and they mention it here, and I love I that. I know, I saw it, yeah. Um, while he's, you know, walking his beat at one point, he comes up to a newspaper stand, and they've got 
Action Comics number one, the most important and expensive comic to ever have been written. What's that going for? Um, Do you know? Uh, I think it was like two years ago. I saw a report that one copy that wasn't even in like really great condition mm-hmm. uh, sold at auction for one point two billion dollars. Billion? Billion? Holy! F- wow! Yeah, dude. It's it and. That has a lot to do with um, during the fifties and sixties with uh, seduction of the innocent, seduction of the innocent, mm-hmm. um, Patrick Wortham, and the idea that comics are causing uh, delinquency in the youth. Uh-huh. So there were a bunch of um, I feel like over there for video games today. Yeah, right. <laughs> there were a bunch of um, burnings where like small towns would like round up all the comic books in their town and put them into a fucking bonfire in the this middle of the town. This is in the 40s? This is the 40s and 50s and 60s. Wow. Like, this was also, you know, around the time of um, starting to head into um, the Cold War with McCarthyism mm-hmm. and our comic books, secret propaganda for communism. Oh, gotcha. Like, uh, it's, it's a fascinating time, yeah. 40s and 50s and 60s. Um, but yeah, so we jump in with William Reeves and racism abounds yeah. i have it in my notes it says a different time in parentheses <laughs> racism, racism. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not laughing matter but you are no, absolutely not, right There's, it is a, it is very overt in this episode right and it's you know and it as it should be because they're trying to present a realistic recollection of events yeah. and as much as people want to sweep it under under the rug as much as people want to kind of just you know the past is the past right you know America has had a pretty messed up history yeah. when it comes to racial violence. Within like 70 years, it's like so much. It, it's progress. Yeah. Like it's crazy. And like, so there's there's even a moment. And this, I actually gasped at this in the episode. Um, at one point, Will is walking home. And this cop car pulls up next to him with some of his fellow officers. And they're like, hey, let's go get a drink. And he's like, no, nah, I'm good. And they're like, are you sure? You know, we're buying, like trying to get them. And those of you who have ever been um, catcalled on the street mm-hmm. or have ever been kind of pressured into a really uh, uncomfortable situation, you know the feeling. Yeah. Like you can tell these guys are up to no good trying to get you into their car. And he's just like, no, no, thanks. Maybe next time. They're like, all right, next time. And they drive away and you see on a police car mm-hmm. – Driven by policemen in police uniforms, they are dragging two African American bodies behind their car. Uh, did you catch? Okay, was did you think that was like real, or did you think that that was like part of the nostalgia? I think it was real because okay. they they didn't really, at least from my perspective. You can let me know if there's anything you picked up on that I didn't. They didn't really like exaggerate anything. There was color to them. There was there was red on them. So like the blood. Okay. Was, yes. So well, well, I mean, just in the um, in the scope of the flashbacks in general, they didn't yeah, like exaggerate. True. There weren't like hallucinations or anything like yeah. that. So I think I think that was factual. And again, we're talking about a different time in 1938 where like this shit just happened. Well, here's like, the thing all too. The time. We just kind of glossed over that where uh, these are the same guys that uh, kind of stood up for him in the precinct. When he brought the dude who started yes, the fire, you're absolutely which by right. the way, that actor is great at being a creep. He was in, and I mean that in the most complimentary way. He was the big bad in True Detective season one. He's the big bad in Barry season one. 
He was the oh guy my gets God, Joker with his handgun. He's the guy gets Joker that the oh, gun that sets was him, up. him. I knew yeah. he looks familiar. It was the mustache that threw me off. That's what eyes. threw me off. I didn't recognize him at all. He's wonderful. He's, he's great. Fantastic. At being, really, really good. He making people uncomfortable. But loved um, him in Barry. Yo, he's so, so good, good with the Russian accent. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's great. Um, but so the same guys that co- try and coax him into the yeah. car a couple minutes before in in the in the episode. They are standing up for him because this Fred, I believe is his name, yeah. um, called him, I think, a racist a spook. N- spook. Thank That's you. That's the word they used. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the other cop said, you know, you don't talk like, to our what did you just call like him? That. I yeah. loved that. I thought that was great. I'm like, and holy also, shit, are we seeing progress? As a viewer, you know? it sets you up to be like, okay, he's going to be, he's got a friend. He's yeah. got a friend of the force. So then when they betray him, they, you know, corner him in an alleyway, kick the shit out of him, and then feign it fane lynching him yeah it's it's rough yeah it's rough to watch especially because in i think a stroke of genius by the filmmakers they make it first person yes that was that was probably the most because we've seen it before and it's horrible every time but i think that what they're doing in this whole series is they're trying to put they're trying to first of all a make you uncomfortable right. but they're making you uncomfortable to see things from a point of view from that type some, that some people wouldn't be uncomfortable exactly. with exactly well not just that too but like chances are as a white guy i've never put myself in the eyes of a black guy who's being strung up but here right. now you have no You're forced choice. to exactly yeah. you are stuck here while this happens and i think that it's brilliant on the filmmaker's part to do that mm-hmm. um and I think it really helps add to the realism and just just create the sense of tenseness and yeah. you know and then people and terror, are more like honest to God terror and so then it creates the conversation where it's like Jesus you know is if it just any conversation it creates to for to, to forward changes and I think that's what Lindelof's doing with this I think it, yeah for entertainment value but I really we'll talk more about it in the series that goes on but there are some things that they touch on and they've already touched on the series they're yeah. like hey guys we need to change this shit all right, right. this is. This is no good for anybody, and you know. So yeah. anyway, but to your point, yes, I absolutely agree. To put you in the POV of that person was a masterful filmmaking really choice. Really choice, and I think it really also gets you in the point of view of Angela, who is also experiencing this in first person. Right. Um, and even though it's a horrible thing what happens to him, them like essentially, I guess what you could call in 1938 hazing. Um, it leads to the birth of Hooded Justice. Mm-hmm. And this entire time, and I'm not going to lie, in the comics as well, Hooded Justice has always been portrayed as a white male. Always. Mm-hmm. There's never been any real um, ambiguity besides the fact that you just never see his face. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even, in the comic, and they mentioned it, oh, last episode or the episode before, that um, two weeks after Hooded Justice disappeared... A strong man, male, Caucasian, uh, was found dead in a river who matched the physical description of Hooded Justice. So everyone just assumes that was Hooded Justice and he died. So the confirmation that not only are we watching um, with the American Hero story something that's inherently false False, but getting to see the true and actual origin of hooded justice who is a bit character at best in the original watchman story i thought was a stroke of genius yeah yeah Um, they really you know he's walk will is walking back home he's still it's horrifying yeah 
watching a young black man like walking with a noose around his neck beaten to hell and he's walking and he looks and he sees down the alleyway that this couple is getting mugged and he's still holding the black sack that was put over his face when the other when his fellow cops jumped him and so what he does is he tears holes into it so that he can see he puts the sack over his head and he rescues this couple in the alleyway powerful yeah super super powerful yeah taking something that only moments ago um, was essentially a threat on your life and turning that into something that empowers you to help others is just I don't have words for it right and the actor who did that I mean really so good well right it was good because he never said anything like it was I mean yeah. as an actor you, you can speak on this better than I can but to make that transition from from just having experience and I believe and again this the majority of this was done in a one take so you have right. that moment where you don't have a chance to set recompose from this emotion to that emotion it has yeah. to be fluid going from A to B and however long it takes you to get there Right. Um, in that same moment but it was that actor really he was and he was great all episode yeah he was fantastic he was fantastic I'm not familiar with him I, I but wanna, he I is so I think he's in so The Leftovers good. is he I don't, I don't want to say yes or no I tried okay. to look up my IMDb wasn't really working too well here but I think he's in The Leftovers um, but he was fantastic I'm gonna I'm gonna fact check right now I'm gonna look it up okay um, s tell me what you thought of Hooded Justice as a character and yeah. how the kind of parallel stories of what a justice is a white male yeah. in this dramatization versus the actual origin of hooded justice what you thought about well, that well it's funny because you know we talk about um the creation and you, you said it best how you know it, uh, something used as a tool of hate created and galvanized this for this individual to be a tool of power i think that it's just so interesting again the way they did that because even in the beginning shot, we have Hooded Justice as a white guy. I think we've always seen him. We've seen him in a couple other episodes in flashbacks. And granted, you can only see his eye holes, but they're of a white person. So the fact that here we have a black man doing this, it's just something that, of course, nobody nobody expected that. And then so it's funny because for white people to accept any type of savior them he's got to be white there's no way that a black guy could be saving us right that's just not logical so so he starts to paint his face white i think that's just that's it says so much about the t level of the lack of tolerance during that time but i really want to draw the parallels to um uh malcolm x because uh it's like you need to become a monster to fight monsters at some point. And I think Malcolm X um, and the Black Panthers kind of had that message. We were trying to solve things peacefully at some point, but you get hit enough times, eventually you're gonna start hitting back. And I think that kind of, this kind of showed that through this episode. And, I, and of course it comes back later when his son um, puts the noose around his neck. But, well, so and I and I love what you were talking about about the uh, the face paint. Um, the actor's name is Jovan Adepo, okay. and I'm looking at his IMDb right now. It says he was born in Oxford, Oxfordshire, England. Oh wow! Another British actor, known for Fences, Overlord, and The Leftovers. I knew it. He is the son. Good stuff. Yes, he is a son in left, and he was incredible. He's he's aged a little bit in this too. He looks like Leftovers looked like a shot a little time ago. He looked much younger in Leftovers, but. He's also really good in Overlord. 
um, which was better than I think people get credit for. But anyway. Um, but yeah, I think um, the face paint, and I want to see what you think about this, I thought was really interesting because um, his wife, June, who we come to find out was the baby mm-hmm. that he picked up in the, ori- in the original episode, um, tells him that they're only going to see you as one of them if you know you put this face paint on your eyes or on you know around your eyes to make you look like a white man which makes sense to the uh portrayals of him in fiction in this universe yeah but i love and we're looking we're actually looking at the screen right now at a thumbnail for this episode what do you think about the parallels between Will and his granddaughter with their face paints? I think that's gonna. I think that's really gonna come up later. But yeah, because for Will and later on his granddaughter Angela, both of their costumed identities hide most of their face. The only real thing you can see is their eyes, mm-hmm. and with Will covering the exact same. Um, uh, portion of his face mm-hmm. just around the eyes a little bit towards the ears as well that angela covers in all black, black. for sister night yeah. i think is it's empowering. Oh, it's a little thing yeah it's, it's just the little things that they're yeah. paying attention to and it makes it matters yeah. so much yeah and but i i thought that he was fantastic in this episode and we really yeah. got to see the true story behind Hooded justice, him deciding to take this up, turning, like you said earlier, this um, this place of horror and fear into an empowerment to do good and to do hooded justice. Right. Um, and it's not long after this that he, you know, becomes hooded justice that he is greeted by a knock at his door from one Nelson Gardner, uh, blonde man, very uppity, very um, uptown man who extends an invitation to uh, to Will's friend, Hooded Justice, from <laughs> Nelson's friend, Captain Metropolis. This is like the most thinly veiled. Like, thinly yeah, veiled. And it's like friend. everyone's <laughs> just like, we're all in on this, but yeah. we're never going to say it. Um, but I honestly loved that scene. The the double talk, the way that they the attitudes that they had with each other, how June was just kind of laughing the entire time. Yeah, um, I thought well, it was done really well. I like that she sat in. We're gonna talk yeah, about business. Agreed. Oh, she sits. She's right like, down. oh, I love business. Yeah, that was that was a really strong character. She was a firecracker. Choice. Yeah, for sure. Like, and I think that um, you know, well-behaved women rarely make history. I think is a saying. Yeah, and it's I've like heard that. I think that really kind of lends itself to the situation where it's like, hey. I'm good enough to be in this room too. It's not just a race issue; it's a sex issue. You Absolutely. Know? So there's something you said out that. But did you know, or did you see? I'm sure you did. Um, that when uh, the the guy's giving his card over to Will, Will touches his hand. Yeah, they touch hands. Yeah, and you get and that. And Will moment. initiated that. It right. Went, so that... Uh, wh- whether he realized it or not, he initiated it. And I love that. Because traditionally, as we saw in the original Watchmen series and also, or the original Watchmen comic and in this TV series as well, um, Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis had an affair, had a long-standing affair with the two of them having to kind of keep it secret because, again, 40s and 50s. Um, And they even at one one point, this is in the comic, um, the publicist for for the Minutemen 
concocted this image of that Captain Metropolis was dating Silk Spectre to throw oh, them off the scent. Really? So, um, and I think I, it's just fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. Well, it's an interesting argument that people would be willing to accept a, a gay superhero. I mean, that because that comic took place when? It, they, they, the, the, they would have talked about it in the 80s, right? 86, yeah. So in 86, not just in the 40s or 50s, they weren't ready to see a gay superhero at that point right. in time, which is interesting because um, I'm sure you heard, but in case you haven't, did you hear that Captain Marvel and Valkyrie are talking about having a, uh, a yes. relationship? They, and then... they have been talking about it. The act, the actors, uh, Brie Larson and Tessa Thompson, have been talking about it for a while. Really? Because they're, they're both, I mean, at least for a couple of years. Yeah, cause, and uh, Tycho, who's directing Thor 4, if I recall... Um, he said he was he was, he would be open to the idea, but he wasn't completely sold on. It, I well, and there's all there's always that idea of like a love triangle, a true blue love triangle between <laughs> uh, Thor, Valkyrie, and um, Jane Foster, who's going to become the new Thor. So I think a lot of people would pay to see that. <laughs> That's a different kind of film yeah. here, but. Um, which transitions great into the scene directly after the meeting where they are having sex in a motel. Um, And I think it's so interesting how that's how their relationship started. Mm -hmm. It was a conversation into meeting at a hotel and at no point have we really seen, and I'm, I'm assuming if they had, I would have to go back and watch it. Um, at no point up to the scene that they meet have we gotten any inclination that Will might be gay. Uh, no, none at all. This kind of came out of the blue for me. See, and I and I think it's really interesting because some people like who don't have the obsessive compulsive need to know everything about a certain thing like I do, <laughs> um, or don't have that knowledge of the source material wouldn't know that Captain Metropolis and Hood Justice were actually a thing. Hmm. Like, we have the scene of them being, you know, together in the American Hero Story dramatization, but, you know, that's, as we've seen with the portrayal of Hooded Justice, not everything there is factual. Sure. And then, oh, also, quick, quick side note. Did you notice that um, the parallels between... Hooded Justice's first night where he goes and he takes out the Cyclops members uh, in the back of the Delicatessen and he comes into the deli where Fred yes. is and he jumps out the window on the preview where, yeah. where in the opening in the first episode his debut is him jumping into a window. Oh shit! That's the right. parallel of yeah, that. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I thought again, it's the little things and that they're paying like attention that. to. It looks like I mean, the set might have been exactly the same, but it looks just like it that. could have totally been a reused set. I yeah. would imagine for money costs, it would make sense yeah. as well. But yeah, just not having that basis of knowing that Metrop- Captain Metropolis and Hooded Justice were like a thing, and there was this whole conspiracy to cover it up because um, being a gay superhero in the forties and fifties was frowned upon. Um, it's just fascinating. Yeah. And the way that they use that, the way that um, June kind of hits it right on the head that they are using him mm-hmm. and his uh, his status as the first masked vigilante to kind of up their stock. Where when we get that meeting where we see the Minutemen for the first time, you know, the reporters are all there. Uh, you know, Hooded Justice tries to bring to light, like, 
the Cyclops, like this deal about the Cyclops. And Captain Metropolis just shuts him down. Yeah. And he's like, it's actually a man named Moloch the Magnificent. Yeah. Which was a great throwback. Love Moloch. Amazing <laughs> character. Um, for those of you who don't know, he was a villain during the time of the original 40s oh, and 50s Minutemen. Oh, okay. Who was a hypnotist. Oh. And eventually I'm... he he is in the original Watchmen, sh- Watchmen uh, comic because after the comedian finds out about Adrian Veidt's plan, he's the first one who goes, who he goes to, and he tells Moloch like everything that happened before Adrian kills him. So Rorschach also visits like an old, old Moloch in his little shoddy New York apartment, and that's kind of where the uh, the firefight happens, where he gets arrested and thrown in prison. It's oh, a whole thing. Shit. But so Moloch was a real person, but it feels like here they invented him I didn't, yeah. to circumvent this idea of a literal cult conspiracy going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then immediately after, they're like, well, we got to go take care of this Moloch person, but not before we tell you about what bank you should be banking <laughs> yeah. at. And they pull off the sheet to the poster that we've seen earlier this season where Dollar Bill, who was the very first sponsored superhero in this world, um, is a poster about him possibly lynching someone. Yeah. Lynching a black man. So It definitely looked like that. Again, 40s and 50s. Racism. What a yeah. interesting time. Um, but I loved that they really, like, they were legit using him. Yeah. And we never get any kind of um, inclination of that in the original story, which is why, again, this episode, while tying in so heavily to the original text, also enriches it mm-hmm. and gives an added layer that if you go back and reread the comic after watching the entire season, which I I think I'm planning on doing, sure. um, just the layers in there, I think yeah. would be really fascinating. But um, And then when he finds out, like, hey, this is what's going on, the Cyclops, you know, organization or whatever, we're using these uh, mesmerizing hypno uh, uh, hypnosis stuff with movie projectors to get people to riot. I thought it was fascinating, first yeah. of all. <clears throat> yeah, I thought that was, that. that's total, uh, like, First of all, very science fictiony because, but also very pulp fictiony. Well, like very like pulp noir. Like, oh, they're using projectors and hypnotism. Well, that was my. That's it's funny because the sci-fi part of it goes into that becomes kind of a superhero kind of air quotes uh, Bond villain. Hey, these yeah. dolphins are actually sending signals. They're gonna blow this bridge. You know what I mean? It's like like that type of, Put of suspension of disbelief, but at the same time. Sure, and the way he figures that out, right? And so he goes, and, and as he's going to the to the uh, theater, which, by the way, did you see the Secret Life of Walter Mitty was playing? Yes, I uh, uh, love Marquee. that. Um, <laughs> and he goes in there, and he's and he's kind of putting the pieces together. And this woman is just kind of telling her story, and he's just kind of zoning her out. He's like, "Oh yeah," and he sees the people carrying the projector out. He's like, mm-hmm. "Oh yeah," he's like, "I'll be right back, ma'am." He just kind of goes out, and and he sees them loading the projector into yeah. the van. And he follows this van, and he tries to call Metropolis for help. And this is he, when it's like they're used. This is when I think everybody and he knows that they were using him all along. Because Metropolis is just like, yeah, you're fucking, you're insidious conspiracy. Look, 
just come over. I've got some wine. Yeah, we're gonna Netflix have sex, and, chill. and we're sure. gonna yeah. Yeah. We're, we're yeah. going to do the 40s version of Netflix and chill, which is bring okay. over your case study and we'll have wine. Yeah, All right. So, like, at this point, Hoodie Justice finally realizes that his wife was right. They were just using him for status and for publicity and that he isn't going to get any help here, which is tragic yeah. because you know that there are certain members of the Minutemen in this time, the original Silk Spectre. Um, even the comedian to a certain extent would have legitimately gone to help him had they known about it. Right. But Captain of Metropolis kind of being the guy who's in charge of everything, the de facto leader, um, doesn't see it as a problem. Well, doesn't isn't see it that as a kind of a parallel to like some things in society where some uh, pockets of society and probably masses of society are saying something's wrong. But again, if you were to take it to a the white blonde, patriarchy, white male, there you go, and he says, "No, it's fine. Everything's fine. Don't worry." Yeah, about dive, it. dive into that a little bit more because I think that that's an interesting point that I didn't immediately catch, but that you know we have this. Um, not going to mince any words here. This African American man calling this person who has the ability to help him, and being brushed aside as, "No, you're just talking crazy." Well, you nailed it. It's like how many times. I mean, going to the '80s when when we're talking about crack cocaine in mm-hmm. in the great in the great city of Los Angeles, where it's like some of these horrible things are happening and police brutality. This is happening, but if you, it's different on the ground level. I would say, right. seen by certain people and the people that are in charge, and you know, the people with the power. There you go. And if it's a, a white guy and he's like, hey, you know, we should take a look at this. Police brutality. Dave Chappelle's got a great skit on it, and he says, "You know, people are are beating black people up like hotcakes. You know, and these two white, these white people are having a breakfast, and like, holy shit, when did this start?" And then he says, "This shit's been going on for forever. We've been saying this, and just now you're starting to uh, listen." And just going back to this conversation, it's done over the phone. It's like, "Hey, I have this is happening." He's like, "No, it's not. I have you evidence. Can, yeah, yeah, you can make a difference. We can stop this now." But instead, it's like, you know. He even throws out the thing that we've heard in recent years. Again, going back to how topical this show and this or this episode and this series really has been about Captain Metropolis basically going like, well, you know, black on black violence is to be expected, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And him saying like, you know, you try to, you know, if you change your mind feel free unless you want to try and fight, you know, African-American civil unrest on your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just the privilege. Yeah. The privilege is so strong. Yeah. And I, it was tragic. It was really sad was. because in that moment, Will had his faith broken. He became something at that moment, right? Yes. I think that, that was, I mean, if he was, if he was wearing the veil, and then he he actually takes it off. I believe at some point he takes the hat off and he's like, okay, I'm done being a servant of people. Now I'm just going to be, I'm going to do things the way I feel like they should be right. done. There is, I am the, the judge, jury, and executioner at this point. So, well, I think which is dangerous. I, I, absolutely. Especially for an African-American male at that time. And we I, we start with the episode, and I, want, I don't want to cut you off, but no, his right. wife says, you're an, or the other person says, you're angry. And it's like, it's it's scary to have someone who can who makes the decisions on 
that who's angry, who's been persecuted their entire life, although it's hard for you in that moment to not feel justified. But anyway. Right. No, and you're absolutely right because – and he admits after yeah. you know, donning his hood for the first time to save that couple in the alleyway, he says, I am angry. Right. You were right. Yeah. And I think it's something to be spoken about with him as hooded justice never using a firearm. Never – you know, it's always hand-to-hand combat from right. what we've seen. And in this moment where he has had his faith broken, no one's coming to help him. He has to do this all on his own. He turns around, and who the fuck is there? Fucking Fred. Fred. Who's just like, duh, officer, blah, blah, blah. And the saddest part is he doesn't even recognize him. He doesn't even recognize him. He just sees him as another black cop. And it's the moment... When um, he's like, come on over to the warehouse. I'll give you the best cut of meat, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Will just goes, is that your warehouse? And it like the camera pans and you're like, oh, no. And all of a sudden, blah, shot in the head. And you see Will take his hat off. He drops it onto the ground and he pulls the hood on. And you're right. He's transformed into something else. And... This is the first time we see him, and I think there's something to be spoken again when we think about the symbolism with how the parallels of this moment, a man in a police uniform with his face covered enacting vigilante justice, and I'm using vigilante oh, justice I never in air put quotes that together, for, posts, but, yeah. for uh, podcast listeners, yeah. with the conversation that Lori has with Angela, where she says... You know the difference between a masked cop and a vigilante? Neither do I. Yeah. I never thought, that's great, Eric. I never thought about that until you said it. And it was just, it wasn't until we see him at the end with his uniform and his mask that that really clicked for me. And I was like, oh my God, they are really doing something with this show. But so, and I want to talk about the scene. He goes in and in his initial, uh, confrontation with the clan and the cyclops members in the back of fred's store fisticuffs hand-to-hand combat he's you know obviously untrained at this point as well but he's you know giving them you know as much he's taking as much as he gives yeah and in here he comes in like a man possessed yeah he i don't think he killed anybody in the back of the store either but in here he is shooting to kill and it's just pop 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 he even there's a guy who's like not dead and he flips over he's like no 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 and he shoots him again and then he piles all the bodies together including fred's body and he burns the warehouse down though he saves one of the projectors what did you think about that whole sequence you know i thought it's a great parallel to what he i don't i don't think he could remember it but if he maybe he did about what was done to him and like to the thing that was under his his race. I mean, how many sure. times we saw uh, exactly what happened in, uh, in Tulsa, where they were firebombing into stores, they were shooting people, they were they were just they were they were dragging people in the streets, which we saw earlier. Right. It's like a lot of this. And again, I go back to this and I look at to this point when black activist groups um, were trying to fight this type of uh, injustice with peace, right? right. And there was a time when it switched and the Black Panthers were born and Malcolm X really became popular mm-hmm. and instead of like, hey, let's let's, you know, 
let's turn the other cheek or let's no it's like i'm sick of doing that and i really think this was kind of that character's turn and almost like how yeah. society in its timeline how when i mean black people were just tired of getting beat up now it's like no now we're gonna start beating there's there's a switch and i think this is that switch right and i think that's just again they're trying to say something with this show well and i think it's i think you really hit the nail on the head there that there is a change in him there is a distinct and when he pulls his mask off like you were saying at the very end you see that there's this moment of catharsis as he's watching this building filled filled with these hateful men trying to ruin the world like burning down and as you said the parallels it flashes back to him as a child watching his hometown burn to the ground um and it's and we've talked about like the cinematography before yeah i it was beautiful yeah i thought the shadow of him showing from the back watching as the warehouse burns around like in front of him mm-hmm. i thought it was beautiful yeah i mean it could be symbolic or placed with who he was to who he is now right where know? he left you know being hooded justice behind and we see we see that um when he comes home like you mentioned earlier his son yeah. has started to put on the makeup and the noose and yeah. i think it's it's every parent's worst fear that their child will take after the worst aspects of them. Yeah, of course. Every parent's worst fear. Yeah. And getting to see that physically is tragic. I think because he knew, right? Will had to know that he probably didn't want this for himself. Um, right. And now that... He was if, too far gone at this point. Exactly. And so he can see his son taking after him this way. It's like, no, this is... You know, hate begets hate, and 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 the, the change doesn't have to happen to everybody. And I think it's, I think it's such a great parallel. Um, there is a movie that ha- I can't think of the name. It's Jamie Foxx is in, and, and um, it takes place in the Middle East. And at the end of the movie, they show parallel timelines. And so, uh, Jamie Foxx tells somebody else, hey, "You know how we're gonna win? We're gonna kill every single one of them." And it jumps to the Saudi nation and. It talk that the mother is talking to his son, saying, "You know how we're gonna win? We're gonna kill every single one of them." Mm-hmm. So if this cycle just continues, yeah. and I think that Will sees this, this is because what is his legacy gonna be? Right. Is his legacy gonna be his son who does the same thing as himself? Yeah, you know. And I think that's just it speaks volumes about that. How did you take that? Because that a lot can be become of that. That moment could be the defining moment of the episode. Right, and I think the defining moment of Will's life as well. Because I think there is, like you said, like him realizing the cycle that he's been caught in and how he is too far gone at this point and how he is now watching his son take on the same ideologies that turned him into who he is. Mm -hmm. Because I think that whether or not this was the last time he put the mask on, this was the last time that he put his mask on as Hooded Justice. That's a great statement. There was a turn in him where he wasn't trying to in this episode or in this um in this scene he wasn't trying to subdue the criminals mm-hmm. here he was shooting to kill yeah he was taking point. his balled up anger everything that he had been through and 
releasing it yeah. onto these people. Yeah. And the change in him realizing, and I think June hits it right on the head where it's like, you wear that mask because you can't stand to look at what you've become. And that, you know, we, and we've seen this in different like, um, hero media before where putting on the mask is an addiction. Yeah. Putting on, on this character can just bring you down a rabbit hole where you lose that sense of self and you become this character. Yeah. And I think that that kind of coupled with everything that Will had been through up to that point, watching his family die in front of him, you know, having to build his life from the ground up, um, really came to a head here where his wife basically said, I'm taking my child, I'm taking yeah. our child and I'm going back to Tulsa. You're not coming with us. And that was really what changed him and changed his life that night killed hooded justice and he yeah. became something else yeah yeah and so after this we find out uh later on that we get the parallel with the end of the first episode and i can't wait to talk about that i we we really need to talk about it um real quick because i can tell you you really want to talk about this um, let's do a quick cut to the end of the episode okay. where Angela wakes up finally out of the uh, nostalgia-induced coma and wakes up in a room with Lady True mm-hmm. or Madam True. Um, and you can see that she's like linked up to some kind of like IV. Yeah, futuristic And IV. it's two of our big characters, two of our big leads meeting for the first time. Yeah, And I... Next episode's going to be a doozy. And we'll talk yeah. about it for sure. But um, going back to... Uh, I have this labeled in my notes as the truth. Um, watching Will's recollection of the end of the first episode mm-hmm. is amazing. So it I know is. you want to talk about it. So, so rattle off. Go okay. for it. Okay. Well, the, you know, the line... And for me, the, the what I took away from this episode is the conversation between these two men when uh, Will tells Chief, um, you have a KKK robe in your closet, <sighs> right? <sighs> but Chief's validation for that was, it was my grandfather's. It's my legacy. I can keep it. When he said that, I, again, this brought me back to some of the historical statues that we still have in Confederacy. Of, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. parts of the south parts of the east and again i don't want to i'm not from those regions so i do not know or claim to understand the type of um adoration yeah that's a great word adoration for it of these statues and you know i, I don't know that right. but i do know that some of those men that are being you know that have been have statues made after them ne- didn't necessarily stand for great things at that time right however it is their legacy for the people in that region. And, and a lot of people are even related to, to people in those statues. Yeah. That's what they're going to say. Hey, for the time, this was fantastic. And he did some great things. Well, sure. But to me, that's where it really kind of what's right, what's wrong. Does that make it wrong now? I think that if you're a person of color, a lot of yeah, because they did some very terrible things. Absolutely. You know, we saw the very first episode. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but when he said, it's my legacy, I thought to myself, what a fucking cop-out. Yeah. Like, that's such yeah. a cop-out. In- and a, in a quick sidebar, um, speaking of the flashback of the first episode, yeah. I would have to go back. I haven't. We record this right after the episode ends every week. Um, I would have to go back to the first episode. But if timeline matches up with timeline... Do you think, because we see in that opening a man dressed in a KKK robe walking through the streets of Tulsa during the riots, gunning people down. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if he had a badge on that KKK robe, but it was in Tulsa. Um, Judd's grandfather's KKK robe had a badge That's on right. it. So theoretically, it could be Judd's grandfather could have participated in the in that massacre. I thought we were going to get that this episode. Okay, I thought that was one hundred percent. We were going to get some type of validation mm-hmm. somehow that 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 was there, and yeah, I, I I did think that, and it was kind of like the sons being punished for the father. Right. Um, so going back to your point about the uh, the cop out on. Yeah. It's my legacy. Well, I mean, that's, and I want to get your opinion on it too, because to me, we talk about this when we're, when, you know, we're kind of afterwards. And to me, it's just like to lean on something like legacy in this day and age where ignorance is really a choice at this point. I mean, right. we have every tool in the world and able to look things up to fact check. So you can do that. So you can see if you know what, hey, what I've been supporting, my legacy air quotes, mm-hmm. um, has really been a piece of shit. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's okay. You know, you know, I, I now know that. And, you know, if he's a piece of shit, that you're a piece of shit. So then we don't, we don't need to idolize you anymore. We can, but I think it takes, interest. you need to look as introspective, I guess. It's been late. So you need to kind of figure that out for yourself. And I think there's, there are some regions in the United States and world for that matter that don't want to do that because I think that when you start doing that, you can see some very ugly things Absolutely. to some people that are very close and you hold very, very dear to you. For sure. But, so anyway, what did you think about that last segment through, when we see what happens through Will's eyes? So I think it's an interesting point that you made um, about legacy. And the question is, what is a legacy? Mm-hmm. A legacy is planting seeds for a garden that you never get to see. And I don't remember the rest of the Hamilton lyrics for that song. But um, I think that the idea, I think you hit the nail on the head so well that um, if your legacy is hatred and bigotry, then your legacy deserves to be buried. Yeah. Um, And that's my stance on those things. If you ever had any questions about that. (laughs) That's why we're um, friends. You can at me on that one. Yeah. but I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I don't, we don't have a specific reason why Will targeted Judd Not at this yet, point. Least, right? yeah. Like Judd specifically. Like he could have gone after anybody of Judd's family. Maybe that's why he's in Tulsa. Yeah. Maybe he's just been hunting yeah, fa- doing, family doing members of the KKK throughout. Yeah, exactly. maybe that's what he's been doing the whole time. We don't know. We don't yeah. know a whole lot about Will's current standing. Do you think we'll find out later, though? I think so. I think so. Because we've know. gotten pretty much every single piece of his story, except for like maybe a last like 15%. Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's fascinating getting to see that, I guess we can call it a missing scene 
from the mm-hmm. first episode where you know we jump from Judd uh, seeing that his tires were slashed to seeing him hung up in the tree. Yeah. Um, I thought the use of the flashlight was yeah. genius. That's interesting. With the uh, projector. And we also, I believe that that was the same flashlight that he was flashing um, Angela, uh, right? Angela with yeah. when they met. So again, I'd have to go back and rewatch it, but it would be interesting to see if like he gave her any directions yeah. during that encounter right or not that'll be interesting um but yeah we see that he used the flashlight to uh basically hypnotize judd into taking him to the tree which is real by the way did you know that yes light therapy is a real thing that's absolutely okay and the use of that and it's kind of shaky for me at least as a viewer whether or not the hypnosis went away when he turned the light off or not yeah I, because I can... judd like had an honest to god conversation with him about it yeah. and then he like flashed the light right. on he could again. have just taken off if he, yeah. yeah yeah we had to but um i i loved that conversation i know um i mean yeah. both of those actors are so good yeah i was really sad after the first episode because I was like, oh, man, Judd's such a cool character. Yeah. And then we found out that he's a racist, so he's not <laughs> a cool character anymore. But um, I think with the revelations in the past couple episodes that there is this vast conspiracy, that um, there's this Illuminati group kind of controlling Tulsa. Yeah. And that Judd was part of it. Well, on White Knight, right? So we have the part when... Uh, Angela is passing out but yeah. there are two people with guns in her house and they just she just kind of fades out so yeah. I think that could Judd be there maybe maybe was not was he a target or yeah. was he targeting her right because there's a lot stops. of unknowns right and I think that hopefully we'll get those answers there's only three episodes left yeah I gotta think we'll get those answers so there's a lot we have to <laughs> get his done. story is interesting i think because we have so it's little fascinating yeah. and, he's, and he is likable he's charming he thinks very he's, charming he's, he's very so, well spoken yeah and like he seems to align well with with angela like right. they have the same type of agenda they were you know? ge- they were genuine friends yeah and so for him to, for again us to find out that he's a racist and you know or at least racism is in his family and he decides right. to keep his great grandfather's kkk whatever I, th- I think if you spend and i'm gonna put my foot down here Again, this is the wine talking. Um, I think if you decide to take good care of and put in a hidden compartment on your wall, in your closet, a KKK uniform, you know you're a bigot. Yeah, it's not you just know. legacy. It's admiration at this point. Right. Because you, know? you could have just like thrown that shit in a box. And yeah, be like, exactly. Yeah, fuck, whatever. But he put it on... It, and I hate making this comparison. It's like you see in um, in the Batcave, Batman putting a suit up. We've seen it. And it's almost like that's his super suit. Yeah. That's what gives him validation. That's his idol. And it's hard because it's a very gray area to talk about when it comes to family relations, when it comes to uh, racial bigotry, when it comes to quote-unquote legacy. Yeah. But... I, and I think, again, just speaking for myself, um, you lose respect for somebody when you find out stuff like that of about Of course. Them. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in this day and age. And you should. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You have every right to. Yeah. I think the outrage towards like, oh, this is my legacy is like, 
it's modern day people suddenly being like, oh, we can't just be openly racially, you know, yeah. insensitive now. Yeah. Now there's actual consequences for yeah, it. Right. And it's like, you know, people talk all the time about, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want. It's like, cool. You have freedom of speech, but you don't have freedom from consequences. I love that. You can say whatever you want. But I absolutely have the ability to punch you in the face yeah, yeah. as a consequence. Well, it's great, too, now is that, um, you know, when they had those rallies, and again, I don't, I don't like to talk about yeah, we, too much but when they had the rallies for uh for i believe trump in in virginia um in mass i mean hell it was right out of jangle and chain yeah I mean, they had Jesus. these guys carrying torches but what they did was um again this technology in this day and age you you, you snap a picture of that person it's like hey let's Blew make them up. fucking famous Blew them yeah. up. they got it so i think that was interesting how that was affected but i absolutely agree with you like yeah. and, and it's hard right because my grandmother's still alive um, if I were to like do I don't know find something all of a sudden that oh shit she you know was in the KKK it's like it changes the whole it dynamic colors of your, your belief system yeah, yeah it's like your view of that person so I can I don't if it, and I'm not but if that were to happen I can see why people don't want to look you right. don't want to look because it's like that whole thing. ignorance is better than you know shame well and it's bliss too. And, it, right. and it is true and you know you don't have to see that pretty you don't have to change your life make yeah. any change but also it's a choice too you know well and i think that the perpetuation of the cycle right absolutely true and i think that even though like i typically on the on the main podcast and whenever we have conversations about this we we don't like to get too into you know the uh socioeconomic like strife that's going on because yeah. it's it's t full of tons of gray area yeah but um i think that's what fiction and media should do it should force you to have these conversations yeah. and look at things that are not okay in the world and say like hey this shit isn't okay well that was my question like honestly with lindelof doing it this way because he could have done it a whole bunch of different ways oh of but course they did it this way for a reason and, and it sets itself aside and gives it an identity as is well. that why do you think they did this to be why do you why do you think they took the watchman property and created this series the way they did why do you think of it because he could have taken a bunch of different ways well he he absolutely could have made it much more safe he could have taken like and not to drag anything or anyone. He could have taken the safe MCU route where it's like we're going to shy away from the idea that Black Panther is the representation of Black Panther. Right. Um, or like Steve comes from a very tricky time racially and his best <laughs> friend is now a black man. Yeah. Uh, they kind of just like gloss over that. Lindelof could have easily done that with Watchmen and just kind of like pushed all the complicated stuff aside, but that wouldn't be true to the spirit of Watchmen. Right. This, the original Watchmen comic was as, to steal a saying from the kids today, was as woke as mm. this show is. Watchmen, the original comic, was talking about surveillance, was talking about safety versus security, was talking about the greater good, was mm -hmm. talking about racial inequality, income inequality. All of this stuff was being talked about in the original Watchmen comic. Yeah. They had all of the stuff that they were talking about in this show, in that book, but it was through a lens of 1986. Yeah. 
So, like, bringing it up to here is continuing, I think, the spirit of that original story. And choosing to do it this way is probably the greatest compliment that you can give to that original story, is continuing that fight that the original story had to say that, yeah, we're traipsing this story up with superheroes and costumes and capes and otherworldly ideas, but really at the heart of this, this is a story about human beings and the struggle to be human. Yeah. And all of the stuff that goes along with that. Dude, that's a great explanation. That that's fantastic and, answer. And I I think that you're absolutely right. And you know, he did this to uh, to to so that you and I and whoever else talks about it after watching the show, it's so that people are talking about it. Right. I mean, that's the only way to get things to change. Absolutely. And I it. and I think, you know, speaking up and speaking out about stuff that, you know, not just happens in this episode, happens in, you know, all kinds of media that we see. There are certain, you know, things that are, you know, in, you know, a fictional world that we view that are hard to watch, hard to read, hard to hear about. But it's like if we don't have these conversations, if we don't let people know, like, this is the stuff that's happening in the world all the time. Yeah. Then again, we're going to be, like you said, making a choice to be ignorant. Well, that's why I think, uh, and kind of getting off but on top, I think that's a comic's do best they create a satire about life and right. if you can kind of tell a story in this kind of an air quotes uh, fictitious realm but it relates completely to real life i Agreed. mean it's it's just i think that's how you can kind of get away with that and i believe that through literature through media through all types through all forms of uh, even entertainment i would say because music it's a big part absolutely of it. I mean, you know um i think that's what media um can really do i yeah. think for a lot of people and in this day and age we're very we're very lucky right we can we can put this on soundcloud we have instagram we can tell stories about our injustices and granted you and i i don't know times are a little different for us and it would be from people in different locations but i think that we live in a great time for that and right. i think that's why the first amendment is so like you said i can say whatever i want you're not freedom of consequences of it though but you know, it lends itself to conversation and we can talk about this yeah. type of injustice in a form and hopefully it's going to get to the right ear, to the right person, and hopefully change occurs for the better. Couldn't have put it better myself. And that is, I think we're going to end on there, going to give it the go home. Um, what are you, before we get out of here, what are you looking forward to next episode? I'm looking we saw for, the preview for it. For Will and Angela. Yes. I, that's, I'm, I'm, I'm so, very excited about seeing how that plays out. And I think it's so interesting because if you remember two weeks ago, we talked about, you know, the stuff that we like, the stuff that we were into, the Will stuff you were not I about. Not, I actually was dreading this it. episode. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I'm going to like it. Yeah. But it was so crazy. this episode turned you around on him. Yeah. Yeah. I think then, then I think what he knows about Chief that we don't know. Yeah. I think is a big deal. Agreed. I think it's a big deal. What about so, you? So I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing the Ozymandias stuff. I knew it. Uh, Adrian's stuff has been so fascinating this whole season, and we're gonna see him in court. We're gonna see the warden too. I think we're seeing the warden. I think we're, we're finally gonna, gonna get some info on him. Yeah, um, and more, hopefully, more info about his sentence, why he's there, who put him there. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, any final thoughts? No, on you this know, this, episode? Sh- this show just keeps impressing me more and more. And I look back on, it and I thought that leftovers had such a great commentary on religion and the belief system. And this 
is doing the same thing for I think racism in today's society, and right. I think it's it's getting people to talk about things that they probably wouldn't talk about. Agreed. And I, I love that. I really do. That's for what sure. that's what you had said. That I think that's what good. I, I would say entertainment should do. I think Absolutely. that's good. Well, what about you? Final thoughts? Wrap no, up. honestly, I I think it's again, like you said, that every episode seems to surprise and impress. Um, every episode is nothing like I expect the episode to be. Yeah. And I, I love when media and fiction can surprise me. Right. That's really when you get that guttural feeling that, um, that moment where you're, you're in it. Yeah. You're in just encapsulated. That's not the right word. No, you nailed it. You're, you're just, in it. You're, you're really yeah. in it. You feel that push, that twist, that turn. Right. And this show really is doing a great job of that. So I cannot wait to look. I cannot wait to watch next week's episode. Yeah. So tune in next week. Again, we do this every Sunday night, dropping it every Monday morning. Uh, check us out. Feel free to uh, comment. Let us know what you think of on any of your podcasting. Uh, platforms of choice also feel free to reach out to us at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained pod on twitter and instagram or through email because i'm an old man i still read emails to geeksplained at gmail.com but tune in next week same watchman time same watchman channel and for now for geeksplained this is eric azana and chris carter and we will see you next time